Sports are back, save 40%. You know by now that the MLS has returned. Major League Baseball is back. Basketball getting going, and of course, hockey has returned. We saw that with the Vancouver Canucks and their exhibition game in the bubble in Edmonton. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash thevancast, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking sports stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash thevancast for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Jay Pat and a traveling Drancer with a brand new VanCast for you. Drancer, where are you exactly as we record this this morning? I am in Jasper. I've got a view of the mountains outside my hotel window as I record this, and it is beautiful here. We had a lovely day yesterday. Uh, you know, it was a long day, and I'm going to be totally honest with our listeners. I do not exactly have a car with all the bells and whistles, and by not exactly all the bells and whistles, I mean I don't have air conditioning. So it was like 30-ish plus degrees on our entire drive, scenic, completely beautiful. And we're driving on the highway, like, you know, doing doing a good clip. I'm not going to out myself to local traffic authorities, but, uh, you know, I got a heavy foot. Uh, everything about me is heavy, Jeff, as you know. And I am doing this with the windows completely rolled down, right? Like, just like my wife's contacts are drying out. Like, my hat flew off my head a couple times, and we were still sweating the entire ride. So it was, like, two hours from Jasper, we're looking at this beautiful scenery, you know, the the sediment in, in Moose River, and just, like, overawed by the beauty. And my wife looks over at me, and she says, this is like torture. <laughs> so, look, we, we made it. We made it. it. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It was definitely beautiful. Um, but, you know, it's not exactly like we're traveling in comfort. We also have our entire life in the back of our right. Jeep right now, right? Like, it's uh, – it's there's no traveling light when you go for 66 days, right? We're, we're planning for to be there over two seasons and, you know, travel back. Like, we'll probably travel back through Banff in October. Like, we brought toques and, um, you know, we, we literally put our backseat down and it's, like, packed – uh, as if we were moving. So look, it's been a weird, it's been a weird 24 hours for me, J-Pat. I'm not going to lie. Uh, excited though. We're going to go grab some lunch. I'm going to take my wife just to see the Jasper Park Lodge today. Maybe grab a cocktail, maybe hit the driving range. And then we're going to hit a hike and, and get to Edmonton for this evening, like probably six or seven and then settle in 65 more days to go. All right, I have to tell this story because you and I have road tripped a couple of times. Uh, people know the yes. Banff story from Edmonton down to Calgary and out to Banff. From the photos, anyway. At the outset of the season. The first time you and I ever road tripped, though, you had arranged for me to come to Buffalo to cover the draft for Canucks Army draft of 20. Yes. It was Oli Levy's draft, 2016 draft. So, <laughs> being the oh kind guy you are, and I didn't know you then like I know you now, but we had a working relationship, certainly. Uh, and you offered to come and pick me up at Pearson. I flew Vancouver to Toronto. You picked me up. You gave me like curbside car service. And then we drove down to Buffalo. But the best part of that whole story, we had the Airbnb on Bird Street. We'll always have Bird Street. Um, was going to get our, you know where I'm going. In quite a rough area. Quite yes. a rough area though. 
I mean, yeah. the whole the whole trip was ridiculous. I also, I think I made a wrong turn on a highway at some point. Like, right, but I was the best part of the, with the Jenny's best, GPS, the best part of the, and this was the George story. <laughs> like, but the, for the story, the road tripping, no, no, the road tripping, weekend. the road tripping part of the story that has to be told was going to get the credentials <laughs> at the oh rink, God. and we I'm parked in the moron. parkade that was attached to uh, Harbor Center, whatever it's called, uh, the, mm-hmm. the rink, and we went in. We went and we got our credentials for the draft. We came back, and you had this puzzled look on your face as you approached your car and realized the car was still running. <laughs> oh, buddy, I am such a moron. Like, I'm a, I'm a moron that deserves an extra O. Uh, true, truly, truly, I'm still embarrassed to this day. Like, you're telling me this, and I'm like... Um, taking up like a sitting fetal position, I'm just like, oh man, oh. I'm such an idiot. It was so good. It was so. <laughs> but like, look, I'll bear some responsibility. And there were others. I think there were four of us in the car. Like how nobody noticed yeah. that you had parked the car, but had like not just leaving the keys in the vehicle, like locking them in the car. You had left the ignition on for the half hour that we were inside the building getting our credentials. Anyways, well, and you know. I thought I'd like arranged every, you know, I'd, I'd arranged everything. I picked you guys all up from the airport. Like I helped you guys book. I made sure we all booked flights that arrived at roughly the same time. You remember, yeah. like it wasn't just you I picked up. I picked up Steinberg and Ariel Yanover. Right. Like we had a motley crew, <laughs> yes. and uh, and uh, but I like had arranged everything. You know, we get to Bird Street. It's in a bad neighborhood. I'm like, oh, all right, like that's fine. Let's go get our credentials. Like just trying to put a put a happy face on everything and be like the guy in control. And then I forget the keys in the ignition i'm just like oh well if they didn't know before now there's no doubt i'm an idiot (laughs) (laughs) we've waited four months to talk hockey we'll get there in a sec but just before we do that uh, i want to talk about our favorite topic which is us so another us story it's not manscaping i thought that was a segue to a manscaping i don't think that's our favorite topic (laughs) no no We love all of our partners and our advertisers, uh, but I don't know if that's our favorite topic. Uh, but but us, you and me, and a massive shout out to the Ginger Canuck, who made oh. us animated podcasting superheroes. I tweeted the photo yesterday, uh, put it on IG as well. Yeah, it got the expected feedback. People were having some fun with it. Uh, I have never looked better, quite frankly. Like, I no, was lean and mean and buff and... Um, and, and I, I tweeted out the photo, and it's all in good fun. But, like, the Ginger Canuck on Twitter, like, he went deep because he came up with, like, a whole separate set of, like, hockey jerseys for us that I didn't post. But so cool. It was. Like, to wake up to that. But I like, want. Was... Like, I want one. <laughs> you want one I, of the jerseys? I badly want. Oh, badly. Badly. And I love the logo, too. I was like, oh, man, should I, like, send that? <laughs> I didn't want to, like, offend our creative department. But I was like, that's sick. Like, I love that. And, uh, and you know, the other thing is I did show, you know, I, I was laughing about it and I was just like, man, you know, we were disciplined about keeping to a twice a week schedule. I wasn't quite that disciplined about maintaining my quarantine bond, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be totally honest. Well, I thought you looked good. <laughs> I felt I looked good. We thank the Ginger Canuck. Um, and, you know, he's just a big yeah. listener, a big fan of the show and, and of the podcast. So I uh, just did that with some spare time and it was terrific. Yeah, you're so. the man. Absolutely. You're the man. Thank you. It brought a huge smile to my face. All right. Well, so let's get into it. Uh, we've seen a Canuck game for the first time in four and a half months, and it looked like hockey, and it kind of felt like hockey. And, you know, they lost to the Winnipeg Jets because they always lose to the Winnipeg Jets, and Connor Hellebuck's right. a massive part of that and was really good again. And, 
you know, I've said this on the radio that maybe the biggest bounce the Canucks got in all of this was avoiding the Jets in the actual play-in oh. because they just don't match up against Winnipeg. Uh, that said, you know, I agreed with Travis Green's assessment. Like, the first period, they Absolutely. were really good. Like, really good in the first period. Second period, you know, it's a one nothing game until there's five minutes to go in the second and then the two quick goals that kind of sealed the deal. The third period, eh, you know, it was uh, a necessary evil at that point. They weren't coming all the way back, but... You know the, the way that but, but I liked I liked like after that bow rush bow had a bull rush where he tried uh, tested Hellebuck with a backhander that's probably like he got that up too yep. that's a goal against almost every goaltender in the NHL just just what what's a goal against almost every other goaltender in the NHL almost never is against Connor Hellebuck but after that I thought the Canucks you know refound their poise again like even in this meaningless exhibition I felt like they started pulling the rope and then they get that dirty Roussel goal like I liked that even you know I liked that there was a level of uh f this we're not getting shut out um I thought that was cool like I even liked that I thought they played 35 or 45 really good minutes and in an against a normal goaltender and with Markstrom on his usual form like that to me looked like a 3-2 hockey game in the Canucks favor not a 4-1 hockey game by any means I thought they were good well, they were, and the numbers bared it out. Like, the top six yeah. were dynamic, and that Horvat line in particular. Like, look, Shifley, Wheeler, and Kyle Connor, like, that's an elite line in the yeah. National Hockey Ridiculous. League. And Horvat's line, like, absolutely crushed them and didn't have anything to show for it. But, you know, if it's about knocking off rust and trying to find your game, uh, Pearson, he had five shots himself. Brock Besser, four shots and seven attempts. He had the breakaway chance. You know, the chances keep coming for Brock. It does kind of feel like a matter of time, and maybe he's saving it up for the games that matter the most. But we said that through training camp and all the scrimmages. Said it again last night. Like, he's around the puck. He's putting himself in the right spots. It does feel like at some point uh, he is going to break out. And so I thought that was a really encouraging night for the Horvat line in particular. And even the top line, you know, it wasn't absolute destruction, but it was heavy doses of play in the right zone, carrying the play, Petey had that one-timer on the power play in the first period. That yeah. It was just absolute rocket And launch. the hilarious reaction to it. <laughs> I loved the reaction. Um, no, I, I agree with you, 100%. I thought the I thought the top end of Vancouver's lineup looked really good. Gaudette line didn't have their best night. I thought Alex Edler, um, you know, didn't have his best night. But uh, aside from that, at, well, and the bottom six, I thought just generally, uh, looked the way that, you know, if you're concerned about the Canucks in the qualifying round, it'll be the games will look like that a little bit, just in terms of the Canucks getting that push from their top six because that's undeniable at this point. But the bottom six giving a lot of it back, like that—that that was sort of the lasting impression I took from it. That sort of validated some of my concerns about this club going into return to play. Yeah, and a lot of I think a lot of eyes on Michael Furland. And, you know, it was another, I think, successful night for, for Michael Furland. You know, he's out there on the no ice question. for the, the only goal that they scored. He had some moments. He was involved physically. Uh, you know, first and foremost, it's just getting through his first NHL game in almost eight months. Like, he hadn't played in the NHL since December the 10th. And even then, he didn't make it out of that game unscathed. And that's the last time we saw him in a Canuck uniform. So, you know, we kept saying it through all the, tri- the camp scrimmages. And when he was skating with the main group... You know, first and foremost, it was just knowing that there would be a tomorrow for him because that wasn't the case back in October, November, and December as far as his hockey career is concerned. So there's just been this steady progression 
I don't think there's much doubt. To start the series at the very least, Michael Furland has cemented his spot on that line. You know, for a lot of camp, there was this talk about two spots on the right wing in the bottom six. I think it's now a bunch of guys, and we'll get to them because uh, obviously that was the storyline last night. But I think it's a bunch of guys for one spot now because I think Furland absolutely starts the series with Roussel and Gaudet. You know, where it goes from there, time will tell. And a lot of that will depend on Furland and how able he is to, you know, leave his mark on this series. But I don't know about you. I just think as we sit here today, the day after the one exhibition game, uh, there's not much doubt in my mind that Michael Furland is in, he's back, and he will play against the Minnesota Wild. I'm actually curious if Furland can play. Like, if Furland's health holds up, I feel like it's more likely that he moves up the lineup than out. You know, like, that's honestly where I think Furland's at. And and that's just based on the fact that he's been a credible top six NHL forward for three years prior to this injury-plagued season. And, you know, if the Canucks want to fatten their lines, you know, uh, moving Furland up the lineup, I think, remains a decent option for them, especially if he's now at the point where he's going to play every night. Uh, you know, this is a guy who can do an awful lot of things. We've seen it. I think he looks more like, doesn't he look faster and more engaged than he did in October too? Like this is the best we've seen Furland in a Canucks uniform. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. I, I'm in fact, I'm not convinced like, I, and I, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here. Uh, watching him now though, like I almost feel like he wasn't completely healthy at the start of the season. When he showed, like, this looks like a different, and Travis Green said as much, like, this looks and feels like a different Michael Furlan than the one that was there from training camp and then that first month of the season before the concussions reoccurred. But you know what? Pro Scouts will tell you that that's sort of the thing about Furland, right? Like, when Furland's on, he looks like an $8 million player. Like, there are month, two-month stretches where Furland, you know, <laughs> produces, like, 0.7 points per game and is the most physically assertive guy on the ice, and then there's two months of the season where he looks like a third liner in the NHL, you know, like that's sort of always been his MO is the, you know, a, a moody sort of player in terms of, of his production. And and that's why, you know, he is a middle six guy and not a top line guy because when Furland is on historically, you know, he looks like an absolute behemoth. Um, he's just never really been, been able to maintain that level over multiple seasons. But that doesn't change the fact that he's an extremely valuable player. And if the Canucks get lucky and he gets dialed in and productive at the right time, like, man, that would be a huge... Like, this is a free middle six, at worst, maybe top six quality player sort of coming into the lineup who you didn't have all season. I, I think there's a potential anyway that, you know, as much as I'm nervous a little bit about the bottom six as much as I thought Adam Gaudet really struggled uh, against Winnipeg uh, you know Furland could change that math real quick if he looks the way that he has you know over the last two weeks when the games really matter I hear you uh, I suppose he's as free as a 14 million dollar guy can be but I know where you're coming right. from <laughs> yeah sell uh, you know one of those own ads like yes. own team ads the that's 20, what I mean the 20 dollar bill that's in that suit pocket yeah. that you haven't worn for <laughs> For quite no, some no time. such thing as a free lunch and unrestricted free agency, no, <laughs> no. question. <laughs> so let's jump in then, because you know that fourth line has been an issue, continues to be an issue. Uh, I'm not sure that Brandon Sutter did enough last night to truly earn a spot in this lineup on merit, and yet I think he'll be there for game one. But you know his contribution last night was taking an offensive zone penalty, like that. That was it, and he's supposed to be a penalty killer. You can't. Kill penalties if you're the guy that's in the box. So, you know, I thought it was a highly disappointing night for that fourth line. I think Mott was probably the best of the bunch, and he did draw a penalty. 
but Beagle got caved. You know, we're used to seeing that. And then Brandon Sutter, you know, it's just a sort of a lack of engagement at this stage. And I don't know if it's because he doesn't want to or he can't get there and get involved. Not sure what it is, but they're just, you know, I've said it throughout camp. It's just so quiet around Brandon Sutter uh, in his game. And Zach McEwen was clearly the extra forward. He barely played. You know, his big moment was getting absolutely blown up by Nathan Boilu uh, along the boards. You know, from Jake Vertanen's perspective, it wasn't a good night for Jake Vertanen, but I didn't think it was a great night for either of those other guys that might be between him and a spot in the lineup. No, I, I tend to agree with you. And, you know, the only thing one wonders, though, is if Sutter were to play poorly and the PK was to struggle, could Louie be the next guy in, right? Like, that's the other yeah. sort of factor here, yeah. is if the PK matters to the point that you'd play Sutter over Vertanen, McEwen and Erickson I think three guys all of whom at this point I, I tr- I'd trust more in Travis Green's shoes um just based on and and it's it's also just you know we've seen Sutter play well this season like he had a really good couple of first couple of months before the injury issues reared their heads again but he got hurt and missed some time early in camp like I don't know that we know he's 100% by any means um you know uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that's a big question mark for them and a, a big question that they'll have to answer here, uh, especially in the event that things don't go their way early or that, you know, like if things don't go their way and the Minnesota power play is firing, like that could be even worse news for the likes of McEwen and, and Vertanen, especially if Furland continues to be healthy and play well, which at this point I kind of expect. Right. And, you know, we I always track back to that game in Minnesota where – you know, uh, Marcus Foligno was an absolute force. Like, he didn't figure in the scoring, but he was dominant. And if he tries to run the Canucks show and is successful in doing that, you know, like, there isn't much pushback. Let's be honest, on that fourth line, certainly there's not much pushback. I mean, Furland gives you a little bit of edge and Roussel's going to engage physically. But, you know, you do wonder if a guy like Felino and his presence in that series, like if they felt that they needed some sort of deterrent, and I'm not talking fighting, although Zach McEwen did drop the gloves ultimately just to kind of quiet Felino down in that game in Minnesota in February. But, you know, like that's where I come back to the fact that it's it's just, it's quiet around Sutter. Like, you know, at this stage of his career, Brandon Sutter's, he's not a physical force. You don't expect a whole lot of offense from him. You know, his sort of, uh, specialties, I guess, are penalty killing and some veteran leadership. He wears a letter on his jersey. But, you know, is that enough to keep him in this lineup long term, especially if the Canucks feel that they need to amp things up physically if the temperature gets turned up, as it so often does in postseason hockey? Yeah, and they're going to have to match not just the physical side of the wild bottom six with the likes of Ryan Hartman and, and Marcus Felino, but Felino and Hartman can play. Like, they can produce, and so can Donato. So can Matt Zuccarello. So can Alex Galchenyuk. Like, this is a really good Minnesota bottom six. And, you know, one of those lines, you know, whether it's Felino, and so it's Felino, <laughs> Felino, Galchenyuk, and Zuccarello, and then Koivu, Hartman, and you know, uh, Donato, like those, those are lines with skill, size, some two-way, you know, abilities too. When you talk about what Koivu used to be and, and what Matt Zuccarello can do in terms of tilting the ice, like, you know, that's going to be a tough matchup. You're going to have to throw a Jay Beagle line at one of those lines probably. 
um, you know, especially if you're not attacking the Galchenyuk line with Pedersen. So, um, you know, we'll see where this goes. But I, I do think the wild edge in the bottom six is going to be a big advantage. And I saw nothing in that exhibition game that disabused me of that thought. I want to talk about Ole Alevi here in a sec, because it's part of a, I mean, he himself is interesting, yes. but there's a broader context here, and we'll get to that in a sec. The final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando and are ready to get back out on the court. While the ending of this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will not be a shortage of excitement, and there is no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season, so get in on all of the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball, easy to play. You just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. No better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. But if basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament with millions of dollars up for grabs. There's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. So download the DraftKings app now. Use promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Uh, before I even get you to review Ole Levy's six-plus minutes of NHL game action... Were you surprised that Yolevi was the guy, that he got the nod to be the extra defenseman in that game, the only exhibition game they've got? You know, we spent a lot of time on this pod talking about Jalen Chatfield and the steady climb that he had at camp, Brogan Rafferty, sort of the, the hype train that uh, follows him wherever he goes. Uh, but it was Ole Levy that got into the un- into the lineup last night over those other two guys. Yeah, I don't think I would have called it beforehand, but when I think about it, I'm not surprised, especially with... Jordy Ben's still out of pocket, right? Uh, The club's hopeful that he'll be back this weekend. Um, But, you know, as far as we know, him and his partner have not had the baby yet. And he'll have to quarantine on his return. So he's not expected to be an option for the Canucks in Game 1. When you consider that Yolevi's the only other LD among the Canucks depth defenders who they've brought... Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to get him in uh, some action against NHL players, right? Like, he's never played in that environment. So, you know, <clears throat> the leverage of him playing is a lot higher than a guy like Chatfield uh, and even Rafferty, who've tasted that at least, right? Uh, so I'm not surprised when you think about it in reverse. I, I can't remember exactly my reaction, but it wasn't jaw on the floor like it was no, when Jake Vertanen no. wasn't one of the top 13, right? But, but yeah, I mean, look, good for him. He's done some work. By the way, my favorite part of the game... Honestly, one of my favorite, like the thing that made me laugh the hardest was in one of Yolevi's shifts, he was up against Patrick Lyonnais, who of course he won a gold medal with, with that, you know, absolutely epic Finnish world junior team. And Lyonnais went well out of his way to hit Yolevi after he made the play to clear the zone. Um, And, you know, I'm sure they're close, right? Like, I'm sure it was a a well done, welcome to the game kid uh, sort of moment, even though they're the same age. Um, you know, I, I'm sure it was an affectionate sort of hit, but uh, but I still love that moment. Like he clearly went well, saw who it was, well, it went well out of his way and made sure to tag him. That made me laugh. Like I was howling at my TV while I watched it. Yeah, and I thought again, limited minutes, sort of sheltered role, extra defenseman. 
he was fine. Like, he hasn't looked out of place since the second week no. of training camp and all the scrimmages. And so, kind of like Furlan, like, every night is a bit of a bonus in that it's a step in the right direction. You know, I, I th- things would have to happen that don't bode well for the team and its playoff chances if Yulevi gets into game action. But the more I see of him, the more I think he probably could step in and wouldn't totally look out of place, although postseason hockey uh, is different than an exhibition game, you know, for the first time in in four months. But the fact that he made the trip to Edmonton, the fact that he got the nod last night, the fact that he took yeah. shifts against NHL opponents, like all of that uh, continues to put Ole Levy back on the map for the Vancouver Canucks big picture long term. And all of that is a really good news story. Yeah, and, you know, I can tell you the org's excited, right? Like uh, I talked to Jim Benning today, Jim Benning uh we spent 25 minutes on the phone for a big one-on-one that will run at the athletic tomorrow. Uh, just a plug to, to tease that for our readers. I think there's some topics fans will be really interested in, but you know, he brought the conversation back to Yolevi on, on a number of occasions. I think he's really excited by the progress that he's seen. I think that excitement is matched by the coaching staff and by Travis. And you know, that's why he's gotten this op- these opportunities. Now I don't think yesterday was a real audition, so much as it was a look and, and a taste. And that's fine. Like, I know there's disappointment. Like, fans were trying to manufacture this idea that Fantenberg had really played poorly when he definitely didn't. Um, I don't really understand that. I understand being excited by prospects. But, I mean, it just didn't match reality or deployment. Like, Fantenberg had a completely capable game. Helped the Canucks control the shot clock in his minutes and on and on. And, and played mo- almost twice as many minutes as Yolevi did. Like, he's going to be in the lineup in game one this isn't a difficult decision or a close one for the Canucks or their coaching staff and and manufacturing that is is just sort of losing the plot but they definitely wanted to get Yolevi a taste and they're definitely excited by the progress they've seen from him over the past two and a half weeks since phase three began was your interview with Jim steadier than the one that was done on the broadcast last night that was the weirdest like yeah, moving camera like in the hallway. I'm not. It felt like Jim was holding his own phone as, and he may have been. Like I, I don't know what that yeah, was, but it was bizarre. Selfie stick, maybe selfie yeah. stick. I, but yeah, imagine? no. Get can the get the man in get the man in Osmos. Um, exactly. No, I, we're all hey, as, we're all as a guy that as a guy that travels with a camera. <laughs> I can yeah. give him some tips. Fair Jim, enough. hit me up. I got <laughs> a little crash course for you. Uh, yeah, shooting so wide, you'd get, you know, Ben Brown in the shot. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> look, the the Jim Benning interview, uh, there's going to be a few things like that. Like, I see a lot of people complaining about the overhead camera, and I like it. I think it's cool. I think it's especially going to be cool. Like, I hate the behind-the-net shot for power plays because I can't see the flankers. Like, I can't see if a guy's cheating down. But when you go to that overhead shot, for example, for a power play setup, it almost looks like NHL 94. Like, it looks like the way that I experience video games. And for a stationary offensive attack situation, I think it's going to be really cool. Like, I think that's going to be a really useful view of the game. And it's just that producers are going to learn how to integrate it. Like, they're playing around with it. They're experimenting. And I think the same goes for media availability across the board, you know. After the game yesterday, two players were made available for a total of five minutes, right? Yeah. And then Travis Green. And Travis Green was good. I I mean, Green gave us what we'd expect for the most part, right? I mean, we'd usually go an extra 15 minutes on something completely nebulous. But other than that, it was more or less 
ordinary course of business. Uh, the player thing. Now, there are locker rooms around the NHL where you go into the room and there's three players up, right? And they're the only guys in the room and the media dutifully does all three players and moves on. And the demands of the media and the fans in Vancouver are so different. And two guys talking for five minutes, you know, it's exhibition, so whatever. But when the games really matter, I don't think that's going to get it done for what fans want. I think, and I do I think, think, think they'll add the a NHL is going to have to adjust. Wow, fantastic. I, no, I, I, I mean, I've... they're going to need to do more than that, right? Like, I know that they need to clear the room. Uh, or clear the building like I know that there's a, a tight time frame here that it's not always going to be practical but like if the Canucks advance to the playoffs for the first time in five minutes and it's Markstrom, Pedersen and Hughes for five minutes like who does that serve man because it definitely doesn't serve what our our readers our listeners are used to or or expect um, not just from us but from the league and the team that's why we're sending you into Edmonton to to in, <laughs> in your superhero costume which I hope you did take to get in there, I did, and, of course. And I forgot. I forgot my packs, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get in uh, there no. and and strong arm a few people and and make make it happen. Make some changes. But but any anyway, sorry, I, I didn't mean to twist this and start t- <laughs> complaining about media access, even though it's obviously top of mind for me. But the I think the main thing I'm trying to say here is that I'm trying to be patient with all levels of this as we figure out exactly what X Y Z looks like. Um, you know, whether it's access, whether it's camera angles, whether it's an availability with Jim Benning over Zoom during an intermission, um, everyone's figuring this out. No one's got the answers yet. And I think we'll be way better at it across the board two weeks in than we are going to be at the start of the qualifying round. And that that includes us asking questions on Zoom. It includes NHLPR facilitating that. It includes producers, broadcast teams, uh, general managers, PR teams in terms of figuring out exactly what this all looks like in terms of how fans experience the games. Well, and, and let's just pick up then on that Zoom because... I mean, it had to be asked. I happen to be the one that asked Travis about uh, the decision on Jake Vertanen. And, you know, we kind of talked around Vertanen a little bit. I, I'm sort of exhausted with the topic. I've done a bunch of radio hits. and But it but, always comes up. It's all anyone wants to talk about. Right. And look, when Travis says what he says, that he's dressing the lineup that he thinks gives his team the best chance to win, and he was able to dress an additional forward, and Jake still couldn't get into the lineup, like, you know, there's no way to misinterpret that. Like that's a, <laughs> none. It, it's an indictment on Jake for ten. So you know, I thought Travis's comment after the comment was underreported, plain and simple. Right? He shrugged yeah. and he went plain and simple. No, I mean that's like strong. that. That's really strong. <laughs> Speaks volumes. Um, but I agree with you. I'm sort of I'm sort of tired with this too. And you know, it is weird though, right? Like it is weird. To have a career year and then be out of be a, not even in the club's top thirteen forwards in your dress rehearsal, like that is a strange t- turn of events. Not something. Right. There, I wouldn't there, say I wouldn't say I'm surprised by it, but I wouldn't have predicted it. No, but there's not going to be another team in the NHL that's going to have an 18 goal score that's a healthy scratch in game one of its play, and there just isn't. I mean, that that doesn't happen generally. But no, it doesn't. And and I think, you know, that would shock people on the outside, but anybody that's been around this team during Jake's time here, you know, they know the story. And and so it does get tiresome at times, but so much of it's on Jake Furtanen. And, and that's why I come back to the fact that, you know, it wasn't good for him that he wasn't playing last night, but 
you know, the guys that he's battling with, uh, I didn't think were great either. So, you know, I'm not going to rule out an appearance at some point in the series, but I just, I don't see any way that he's uh, among the, the 12 forwards that are selected to, to play on Sunday night. It would be a shocker at this point, right? Like it would yeah. be. And so, you know, I mean, I think everyone's going to have to cool down and take a long, hard look at where exactly this relationship is going. And there's going to be a lot to figure out this off season. And there's no question that if Jake's not in the lineup for game one, that raises the stakes for all of those conversations. So, um, you know, we'll sort of see where this goes and and see what Jake's impact is. But, you know, if this club is struggling to score at any point, uh, that does sort of cause you to wonder if the microscope will, you know, like there's a lot of risk for the coaching staff and for the club leaving Vertanen out of the lineup, especially with how the public's going to perceive the decision. Uh, you know, if the PK struggles, if the goal scoring dries up, uh, you know, that's going to be that's going to be tough. So, you know, you know that they're doing this because they believe it's the right call, right? Like that's like there's a lot of skin in the game here. There's as much skin on the game as there gets and they're still willing to make this call. That means they believe it. And, you know, I think that speaks very loudly, uh, plain and simple. All right. So listen up when I say this, that. If the idea of hockey in August isn't an indication enough that the world is turned upside down, then I don't know how else I can underscore that point. But we are living in such bizarre times, obviously, due to coronavirus. So if you're a business that is trying to find your way and navigate through all of this, and you're looking to maybe step outside the box and reassess your marketing and your approach to getting word out that you're either open for business or that you've got a product that you want the world to know about, uh, why not partner with us here at the VanCast? Uh, we can get your message through to a highly engaged audience. People are back on board. Like You can feel it. There's a buzz now that uh, hockey has returned and the Canucks have played a game. So people are locked on and we can help spread the word. We'd love to partner with you. Our listeners are loyal. They're engaged. And what better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast, which, of course, is the VanCast. To advertise on this very podcast, just go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There you fill out a simple form, and we'll get back to you right away. So go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. Do it today. Or just reach out to one of us on social media, and we will take it from there. But we would love to hear from you, and we'd certainly love to work with you uh, now that hockey is back on. A couple of things. I, I, I want to finish up with predictions for the series. I think we did way back in the before times. We may have actually gone down this road, but this will be our final podcast before they start playing on Sunday. So we'll do predictions for this series. We won't go through all the series. Uh, but uh, we certainly tipped our cap to the Ginger Canuck earlier for his fine artwork. I, I just want a, a shout out to the ladies that are cranking out the broadcast. Yeah, and I'm glad you up did and this. running. Uh, I hope they're not too good because they may take Me us too. out of business. But you know, it's so incredible. But I hope they're really good. It's so incredibly cool that yes. they are lending uh, unheard voices to the market, and they're such a big part of Connect Twitter. All of them uh, in their own way. So uh, good on you, and best of luck. And uh, we're here to help if we can in any way, uh, certainly. But uh, I don't think they're going to need a lot of help. I, I think they're going to no. deliver a terrific product to the marketplace. And they're already getting more shine, like BT television and Canucks Army write-ups. Like, I yeah. mean, you know, we're already falling behind on the promotional side, and we've got a former <laughs> PR guy. Uh, so, you know, don't love to see that, but do do it. I do encourage 
uh, you know, our listeners to, to subscribe and give them a shot. They launched their first episode today. Um, you know, uh, did you notice in their pilot they were debating whether or not you or I is a Blair? And uh, and I thought about bringing that up to you, and then I thought that would mean nothing at all to JPAT. Like, meanwhile, I'm like, how could you consider JPAT? <laughs> it's clearly me. They also considered PJ, um, all of which I took offense to. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Well, uh, the one thing they don't have yet, although if I mention this, they probably will in no time, but I don't think they've got uh, superhero uh, animation yet for their podcast. <laughs> oh, so we've got they, that. They will for sure. They have Georgia, man. That's, <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. Of course. Gonna, <laughs> we can't compete on the artwork. Don't no, use that. You're right. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's save our bullets. <laughs> All right. Well, let's finish up because here we are, like on the eve now, essentially, of a moment that I'm not sure I truly believed was going to happen, but uh, they're going to play. They're going to play some hockey here. The play-in round begins on Saturday. The Canucks in the Wild uh, begin on Sunday, and then uh, we'll be back next week uh, with two a week, as we always do. And, you know, we'll get knee-deep into this thing, and I'm really looking forward to it. You can sort of feel it building now. Last night, was it was just cool to sit back and be able to watch Canuck hockey and discuss Canuck hockey and, and actually have games to chew on. So... Here we go. You've written about it extensively. I know you've got, uh, before we get to predictions, we should mention as well, if people haven't checked it out, a uh, trip down memory lane to 2003 and some untold stories of the last time the Canucks and the Wild got after it in the playoffs. So uh, cool piece up at The Athletic right now. And you have been collaborating with Mike Russo, who covers the Wild mm-hmm. uh, for The Athletic in Minnesota. So lots of content out there ahead of puck drop on Sunday. Still some time, plenty of time, in fact, to uh, check that out. Your playoff primer, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, whenever the Canucks do anything, it's like, you can expect that I have a 5,000-plus word multimedia uh, (laughs) trip down memory lane ready to go, right? Like, it's become my rote sort of play. But look, I think there's a ton of value in it, and I think there's some stories that haven't been told publicly. Uh, You know, the Wild using the fact that the Canucks practiced without helmets before Game 5 as fuel... Uh, to motivate them in, on the comeback, the bus crash that they sustained between... Like, can you imagine? They played back-to-back, game six, game seven. Yeah, that's and one team had a bus crash, and one team almost made an emergency landing because of an infection that was causing, you know, Canucks defenseman Sammy Sallow to hallucinate on the flight. <laughs> I mean, what a ridiculous... What a ridiculous 24 hours. And the fact that there was 20... Do you know there was 48... There was two days off between games four and five. Like, how how did they screw up the schedule so badly for that series, J-Pad? It's still, like, that. that's the only that's the only part of the story we didn't get. Uh, but everything else is in there. I think it's a pretty great story. And I, and I loved uh, some of the comments from the likes of Todd Bertuzzi, uh, Wes Walls, Brad May, Brian Burke, among others. Yeah, no, good fun, good read. Check that out. Also, uh, I just feel like there's so much business to take care of here, but... You know, a tough day as hockey returned for the business side of the Canucks operation. Some really good people. Uh, The dust still hasn't settled, in fact. uh, Still trying to determine sort of who got swept up in all of this. But uh, look, there's no revenue. There's no games being played at Rogers Arena. Uh, We think of it strictly in hockey terms, but that's a massive concert venue as well. They're not doing concert Mm -hmm. business right now. Uh, Game presentations. Ticket sales. Sometimes rent to conventions. Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses. On and on. So the hammer fell and good people got caught up in it and it's just you know again unprecedented times and you hate to see it and certainly people that uh, we have worked with over the years and you know words don't do a whole lot for them but uh, certainly thinking of those people uh, during a tough yep. go so just wanted to mention that as well here absolutely on the van cast all right uh, it is time 
Oh, it's time. Uh, you've probably done this in print somewhere along the line, but uh, I'm, I haven't. I no. haven't. I've been saving right. it, but but that's okay. I'll I'll, I'll scoop myself. We're going to do a deep dive <laughs> series preview for Saturday. Uh, Harmon and I. You can imagine how many words that'll be. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I was going to save it for that, but but look, the VanCast is priority for me. You know that. You will get my prediction, but I want to go second. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So I'll I'll activate my superpowers. My super predictive powers first here uh, i think it goes the distance i mean you guys have laid it out uh, wow. throughout that it's it i mean the regular season series for what it was worth and it was way back in that before time but you know split down the middle a win a piece and then a game that went to a shootout and really not a whole lot to pick and so uh you know the teams are constructed totally differently but i think it's going to make for a fascinating chess match uh, you know inexperienced coaches uh, at this stage at least in postseason at the nhl level and, you know, it's another wrinkle, too, that Dean Everson takes over. He's, you know, only 12 games. So if the Canucks were, you know, trying to get this big body of work, there really isn't one under Dean Everson. So how much did they change? Uh, how different do they look now compared to, uh, you know, when they played under Bruce Boudreau? All those things. I think the Canucks find a way to prevail. So I'll take the Canucks in five. I'm also going to take the Canucks. I'm going to take them in... I'm going to take them in three or four. I'm just going to weigh my options quick. I'm going to pick them in three. I'm going to pick a Canucks sweep here uh, just to give us some clash, you know? Yeah. No, uh, hey, a sweep, a, sw- a sweep is always a bold prediction. But also, I just think the... I think it's evenly matched. Like, don't get me wrong that, that I'm sort of waiting this as if this is going to be a blowout. I do not think it will be. I just think that the Canucks' edges in terms of high-end skill and in-net are going to be decisive and decisive game by game. Like I think ultimately when you have those advantages in your back pocket, those matter, like those matter so much. And I just, I don't think that the wild can hit the top six fastball that the Canucks are going to be able to throw, especially when either Pedersen or Horvat's on the ice with Quinn Hughes. Um, and I don't think that the, the wild are going to have as much room for error uh, in terms of the the goalie in the back. So, you know, I, I do think that ultimately this is going to come down to uh, the Canucks finding a way uh, at the top end of their lineup, and, and I think they're going to make quick, hard work. Like, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be quick. I think the Canucks will win in three. There you have it. Trancer laying down the hammer. He says three, I say five. Either way, uh, we've got the Canucks advancing, and that's good because we want more content. We want to keep going here. Uh, you're going to Edmonton. You're going to be there throughout. But, hey, it's better if the Canucks are are alive and uh, moving on to the postseason for the first time in five years, at least the playoffs for the first time in five years. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of the VanCast. The next time you and I connect early next week, we will have actual legitimate postseason hockey to bust down and break down. Uh, so I'll let you get on your way. Roll the windows down as you uh, get back in the vehicle and make your way to Edmonton. It's too hot, man. It's just too hot, yeah. We're just going to have to suffer through it. It's fine. (laughs) Again, your wife deserves a high mark. She's the trooper uh, accompanying you there for the summer months. And uh, the adventure is underway. So safe travels from Jasper to Edmonton. And we'll uh, reconnect uh, throughout the weekend and then get back at it uh, with a new VanCast early in uh, the next week, don't forget to rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, get 40% off your subscription. You've hung with us uh, through all of this downtime. Four and a half months. It's been amazing. The support. Thank you. 
Uh, for that, this is the payoff. Now that we've got actual hockey to digest, so uh, let's go. Exactly, we will crank let's things go. Up. Crank it up here <laughs> in, the, in the weeks ahead for Drancer. It's J Pat. Uh, have yourself a great weekend. Enjoy the games, everybody, and make sure you check us out and catch the next fancast early next week here at the Athletic and the Athletic.com. <laughs>